Our Old Covenant reading for this morning is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning at verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 12 this morning. The word of the Lord. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call... And the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Here endeth the Old Covenant reading. The New Covenant reading is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. We'll be reading through verse 18 this morning. The word of our God. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We do not talk a great deal about fasting in our circles. And we do not talk a great deal about fasting for an actually really good reason. The Bible does not talk a great deal about fasting. So we're keeping things in balance. But that actually leaves us with a problem. That means in the public square, and by this I mean the religious public square, not just the public square out in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, In the public square, the people who are talking a lot about fasting are, by definition, giving you a message that's out of balance with what the Bible teaches. And therefore, this morning, we hope, with the Lord's help, that we will clear up some misunderstandings about fasting and come to understand the role of fasting in the Christian life in accordance with God's word. Uh, We're going to look at fasting under four main headings this morning. First, fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord. Second, what fasting is. Third, don't fast like the hypocrites. And fourth, when and how to fast. Let me give those to you again. First, fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord. Second, what fasting is. Third, don't fast like the hypocrites. And fourth, when and how to fast. Uh, We begin with the fact that fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord. And I have to confess here, as you all realize, I am horrible at marketing. right? Because if you're going to market something, what you need to tell people up front is, this is amazing. This is incredibly important. This is going to dramatically change some aspect of your life. It might just be a new shake on the market, but it's going to totally revolutionize your whole life. And so I I run the risk here when I say the opening uh, point in our message about fasting is fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord, of having you kind of tune back a bit here. Uh, Please don't do that. I I have two things going in my favor when I tell you this. First of all, um, I don't care if I'm not good at marketing. It is not my job to peddle someone's ideas to you. It's my job as your pastor to tell you what the Bible says. That is what God says and to help you apply it to your lives. But second, it actually is important for us to be able to tell what things are central to your walk with the Lord and what things are more peripheral. And so coming to understand the right place of fasting in your Christian life is in fact of itself an important thing for you to do. So how do we know which is which in terms of what's central and vital and what's more peripheral? Well, think for a moment that perhaps you have a Roman Catholic friend for whom devotion to Mary, the mother of Jesus, is very central to her piety, dominates her her piety. Now set aside for a moment that a few of the things that the Roman Catholic Church teaches, there's only a few, by the way, it's not many, but a few of the things they teach about Mary are, in fact, wrong. Set that aside for a moment. How do you know that devotion to Mary should not be central to anyone's Christian life? Well, if you read the Bible, the answer becomes obvious. You know, you, you start reading Paul's letters in Romans, and you read all the way to the end, and he never mentions Mary once. 
Her, her name is never mentioned. The closest he ever gets is to say that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. That's not about Mary. That's about Jesus being a true human being born in Israel. So if Mary was supposed to be central to Christian piety, Paul would have obviously been telling all these Gentile churches all about how they ought to do it. He doesn't. It can't be central. Well, that works the very same way with fasting. So you come to the New Testament church and you start with the epistles, and you can throw in the book of Revelation. Don't just read Paul's epistles. Read them all. Read the book of Revelation. You can go into your little Bible search engines and put in the word fasting, and you'll know it never comes up, not even one time. The closest we get to the epistles talking about fasting is when the apostle Paul talks about, um, and he does this really by a way of concession, that couples may choose to abstain from sexual relations for a very brief period of time in order to focus on prayer. But Paul's not commanding that. He's saying, I know some of you might be doing that, and I want to make sure you don't go too far. Right? Only do it for a short period of time. Uh, don't imagine that you're going to be more spiritual if you can go a year or something without having sexual relations. That makes you super spiritual, unlike other people. Paul actually is telling them that's wrong. That's the closest we get in any of the epistles to the idea of fasting. I actually want to give you Paul's words here because it actually tells us something important about what fasting is. Paul writes, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of control. As I said, Paul's emphasis here is on the concession and not getting carried away with it. Right? He's trying to put that into a very minor place in the lives of the Corinthian Christians. But he also tells us something important about fasting here. He says the, the purpose of abstaining is that you may devote yourselves to prayer. See, the goal of fasting is not deprivation for deprivation's faith, sake. It's for the sake that you would devote yourself in a particularly intense way to your relationship with the Lord as you cultivate it through prayer. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, if fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord, according to biblical Christianity, what is? Well, you just do the same test. You, you read through the Bible. And you see those things that get a lot of emphasis in some points. They may not be repeated a great deal, but they're, they're really emphasized. Or the things that come up over and over and over again. And what will you see? Well, it's the word of God, prayer, the sacraments, uh, koinonia, that is the shared life of the believers. We're supposed to be engaged in each other's lives. Uh, obedience, seeking to follow the Lord, right? Those are the things that are central. And, and, and so they ought to be central in our lives, not just in the Bibles that we have on our shelves. This is why when, whenever um, someone makes a public profession of faith in our church and they come and unite with us, the minister will always say this, Beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to all the privileges of full communion with God's people. And in particular, 
to participation in the sacrament of the Holy Supper. I charge you to continue steadfastly in the confession that you have made, humbly relying upon the grace of God in the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. See, we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and in the Bible, fasting is not the main thing. But what exactly is fasting? Regrettably, there's quite a bit of confusion at this point. Uh, Many people in the church, this is not talking about those people out there, many people in the church seem to think, if I'm praying and I'm not getting what I want, if I fast, I'm like really getting God's attention, right? I'm saying, Lord, I care so much and I'm going to fast until you give me what I'm asking for. But that's a horrible distortion of what fasting is. Uh, For one thing, the Lord is always looking upon you in love. He always looks upon you with love in Jesus Christ, right? You you don't have to get his attention. That's a pagan idea of prayer. And secondly, it's not as though uh, if God's saying the best thing for your life is not that I give you what you're asking for, but somehow if you throw things on there like not eating for a week, that God's going to go, well, I guess I'll give it to them anyway. God loves you far too much to do something like that. right? So fasting is not a way of getting God's attention, and it is not a way of kind of twisting his arm so that he'll give you what you're praying for. Rather, fasting is about abstaining from something that is good in itself. I I know this is obvious, but I'm going to say it for the sake of young people here. Uh, Young people, I'm actually saying this for the sake of old people, but if I say it as though I'm talking to you, they won't feel insulted. Giving up something that's intrinsically bad is not fasting. You ought to give up something that's bad anyway, right? So fasting is about giving up something that's intrinsically good in order to have a time of focused, intense prayer with the Lord to say, for this moment, I want to focus on this, right? That's the point. Fasting is about abstaining from something that is good in itself in order to focus intensely upon your relationship with the Lord through prayer. Or another way to think about this is fasting is a way of reminding ourselves that man, that is me, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of our God. Now someone might object, shouldn't we always be focusing intensely upon the Lord in prayer? Make sure you understand that objection. Do you understand that objection? Shouldn't we always be focusing intensely upon the Lord in prayer? And the answer is no. What if that surprises some of you? But the answer to that question is no. See, you and I are finite physical creatures. We can only focus on one thing at a time. And sometimes we should be focusing on work, sometimes we should be focusing on studying, sometimes we should be focusing on helping our neighbor. Sometimes we should be focusing on getting uh, an injury in our foot treated, whatever it happens to be. And sometimes we ought to be focusing intently upon the Lord in prayer. Well, I'll give you an example of this from the life of Joshua, that great man of God. And if the matter wasn't so deadly serious, I think it would be rather funny, actually. Uh, Israel had suffered a shameful defeat at Ai. Remember, the Lord had promised that. Um, he's going to just deliver the promised land to them. 
And the Lord miraculously gives them Jericho, this great city. And then they, they suffer this little town. They, they, they run from their enemies. It's humiliating. And so um, we read this. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So here's this really great man of God. Dust, sackcloth, falling on his face before the Lord. Surely, that's, that's pretty high up when it comes to piety, right? God must have been pleased with this, except he wasn't. Do you remember what the Lord says? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? See, the Lord is saying to Joshua, this is no time for you to be praying like this. Get up and get about your business that you should be doing instead. According to God, giving up everything else to intensely focus on him with prayer is not always the right thing to do. You are finite physical creatures. You can only focus on one thing at a time. Now, let me give you the rest of the story. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. See, Joshua should be doing something else. And that's true in your lives too. We are finite, physical creatures. We can only focus on one thing at a time. Sometimes that should be your work. Sometimes it should be listening intently to your spouse or your children. And sometimes it should be reading and studying the Bible. And sometimes, and that's the point of fasting here, because you should be praying regularly about all these things, but sometimes you ought to set other things aside so you can focus intensely on praying to the Lord. That's what fasting is all about. Let me give you a good example here since I gave you a bad one. Uh, Just this week, a member of our congregation was telling me about how fasting helps her to remember to pray for Muslims. I think most of you realize that Muslims fast during Ramadan. So one of our sisters, not always, but as a custom, gives up eating breakfast during Ramadan so that the reminders of being hungry would prompt her to pray for those Muslim Uh, those Muslims, that they would come to the light. Uh, This is what she says. Those hunger pains bring to mind faces of beloved Muslim friends. I don't think God will hear me more because I happen to be fasting 
But I do know that I am praying more with the help of the involuntary physical reminders. That's good, isn't it, right? I don't think God will hear me more because I happen to be fasting, but I do know that I'm praying more with the help of the involuntary physical reminders. Beloved, you may want to try something like that in your own life, right? That's a right use of fasting in the Christian life. Now, in the Bible, there are two main reasons why people fast when they pray. First, people fast when they pray because they've been deeply convicted of their sin. And they're coming before God with uh, a, a deep sense of penitence for what they've done. That's why you often get sackcloth and fasting can get thrown together. And the reason for this makes complete sense. If you think about why we sin in the first place, it's because we're indulging ourselves. And ordinarily, we're indulging ourselves with things, experiences, whatever it happens to be, right? And so to turn back to God with this, this deep sense of how shameful that is and how I want to be different, they lay aside those physical things, those mere things, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I put mere things in the place that belongs only to you, right? I want to focus only on you. Let goods and even kindred go if necessary, that I would follow and trust you as my God. Second, people tend to fast in the Bible. I should say fast and pray. They always go together. Fasting without prayer is not fasting. People tend to fast and pray in the Bible when they are acutely aware that what they are about to undertake is so far beyond their own ability to bring to pass. Now, you realize, of course, you are dependent upon the Lord for everything you ever do in your life, right? But there are times when you have a particularly deep sense of, this is so big. Lord, if you don't act, it's just hopeless. i give you an example from the New Testament in the, the book of Acts. This is from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. There we read this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and sent them off. And actually, there are two accounts of fasting in that passage. Now, what were they praying about? They're about to start the very first missionary journey that's going to spread the gospel across uh, the northern part of the Mediterranean in the Roman Empire. It's a huge task. Were they fasting because they didn't know whether or not God wanted them to do that? No. They knew exactly that God wanted them to do that. God gave us the Great Commission. They were fasting because it was such a big, monumental undertaking, and they wanted to do it in accordance with God's will, not only to do the right thing, but to do the right thing in the right way. But then the Lord actually reveals to them, set apart Saul, we know him as the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas for this work. And then we're told they fast and prayed before they sent them off. Once again, they're saying, Lord, this is so big, we can't possibly bring it to pass. 
You know, unlike many people in the modern church that think we just get the right plans, the right programs, do the right marketing, we're going to build the church somehow, they recognize that Jesus Christ is the one that builds the church. So they focus intensely upon the Lord, saying, Lord, please build your church. And undoubtedly, please protect Saul and Barnabas as they go on this dangerous mission and use them greatly for your own glory. That's just how it normally works in the Bible. A deep sense that the Lord needs to act if his work is going to come to pass is in fact a wonderful reason to give yourself over to fasting and prayer. So, fasting is not central to your walk with the Lord, and fasting is about abstaining from something that is good in order to focus intensely on your relationship with the Lord through prayer. Now, once we see that, in this very short passage Jesus gives us, isn't it obvious what the hypocrites are doing wrong? Right? That's not what they're doing. As Jesus says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, we've seen the first part of this movie before. Right? The hypocrites are fasting, and their audience is human beings, not God. Right? The, the hypocrites were doing that when they were praying, too. They were praying or to be overheard by mere men and not focusing on the God to whom they were supposedly praying. Right? So that's obviously wrong. Right? That's obviously doing something that is, um, is terribly sinful, but we need to be reminded of it, because the truth is we do want the praise of other people. You know, if you're honest in your own heart, you not only want to be pious, you'd really like it if most of the other people in this church thought of you as being pious as well. And so we have to be warned that that's a danger not just for them, it's a danger for us. But that's abundantly clear, and yet it's only half of the story. Think about what fasting is. Fasting is about giving up something that's good, in order to intensely focus on your relationship with the Lord through prayer. Now, what does it say if intensely focusing on the Lord through prayer leaves you gloomy-faced, pained, and sad? I mean, that's a really strange view of God. Spending more time with God is painful for me. It leads to my suffering. Beloved, if, if that's your view of God, you don't know God as you should. Um, as David exalts in Psalm uh, 16, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? Focusing intensely on the Lord ought to fill you with, with, with strength and comfort and joy. That, that's actually the chief end of your life. So to approach prayer and fasting looking like you're being sent to the principal's office is to grossly misrepresent God to the world. The chief end of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you portray intensely focusing upon your relationship with the Lord as something which makes you miserable, then you are clearly failing to glorify God and you are failing in the chief call that is upon your life to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. By contrast, at the heart of the comfort Jesus gives us 
is that he is preparing a place for us. Right? So instead of thinking of this intense focus on God as something that's bad, the, the comfort we get from Jesus is he is preparing a place for us, and therefore he's going to come and bring us to himself again. That where he is, we will be with him forever. In our Father's house, the reason why heaven and the new heavens and the new earth are so glorious is not simply because everything works well and roses don't prick you with their thorns. It's because Jesus is there and you will see him as he is. Now, prayer and fasting is a bit of a down payment on that. Um, I should say that there's been a bit of debate among theologians, that just is always going on, about the exact nature of the beatific vision uh, that's boiled up right now. But please don't let those debates, if you happen to hear them, rob you from just the plain teaching of God's word. In his first letter, John writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him, as he is. That's right. Hallelujah. Praise God that that's true. We will see him as he is. But also, do you realize that intensely focusing on God in prayer right now while fasting is sort of a down payment on that? That that intense focus should bring you joy, but it also will bring transformation in your life. The better you know God, the more you will be like him. Now, not surprisingly... Our Lord, therefore, turns the practice of the hypocrites on its head. Verses 11 and 18 say this, But when you, that is my disciples, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And by the way, the conclusion there about your father seeing a secret rewarding you is a reminder that while fasting is not central to the Christian life, it's part of it. It's one of the things that God has given us that can help us actually focus intensely on him in prayer, something that is central to the Christian life. The hypocrites were getting it wrong, but that raises the question, how and when should we, as Christ's disciples, fast and pray? so that we can truly fast and pray for God's glory and for our own good. Just two suggestions, and we're done. I say suggestions, but these actually, um, these are suggestions that flow out of God's words. This is not something that just is boiled up in my own mind where I'm giving you my own private opinions. First, by all means... Assuming this isn't a health challenge for you, there are reasons for people not to fast with food. Uh, But assuming this is not a health challenge for you, by all means, you ought to occasionally engage in fasting and prayer, that you would focus intently upon God for that period of time. As Jeffrey Gibbs points out, just as healthy and godly habits can be an aid to one's faith and love, so explicit disciplines whereby we bring our bodies under conscious control can bring blessing to our lives. See, beloved, you are not disembodied spirits. You ought not to act that way. You are embodied. You have have bodies. And 
God has blessed us with so many things that uh, are physical, and we ought to enjoy them. But the temptation is, is that we start making those the ultimate goal of our lives. We take things that are intended as good, and we turn them into something bad by making them ultimate. Actually, you know, if you do that, you're turning it into an idol, right? That, that's really bad. Now, it's not that the physical is wrong. Jesus never tells us that man doesn't live by food. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord would give us our daily bread. But what Jesus does teach us is that man does not live by bread alone. What we have to be careful with is in enjoying the physical pleasures of this life, that they become ultimate goods for us. And it turns out that abstaining for a, for a time from something that is intrinsically good in order to focus on that which is ultimate, our relationship with the Lord, is a very helpful discipline for us to practice. And so by all means, assuming that this is not a health problem for you, you ought to fast sometimes. You haven't fasted ever. You can come talk to me. I'll tell you a little bit about how you might want to do that. But just do it. And don't make it some grand project, like I'm going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a really a bad idea. You know, uh, as, our, as our sister did, get, try giving up breakfast for a week and, and use that time and that reminder to pray for something important in your life. Right? By all means, we ought to take advantage of what God has given us through this means of, pra- uh, of fasting and prayer. Second, Martin Luther has a good word for us about fasting. Uh, You'll know, by the way, that earlier in his life, Martin Luther got way carried away as a monk. He put things way out of proportion. But later on in life, he came to understand fasting in light of the gospel. Luther says this, True fasting consists in disciplining and restraining your body, which pertains not only to eating, drinking, and sleeping, but also to your leisure, your pleasure, and to everything that you that may delight your body, or that you do to provide for it. Let's see, Luther's point is actually important for us to get. We naturally think of fasting in terms of food. But there are many things that are good in themselves, which taking a break from will be good for your spiritual life. Um, If we turn those secondary things, though they are good into ultimate things, uh, this means... um, we're actually heading down a path toward idolatry. I'll give you an example. Work. Uh, you know, God does curse work, so it's frustrating in this world. But work is good. Most of us ought to be about work and being productive for most of our lives. We're called to that. But God doesn't say, work yourself into the ground. He says, for six days shall you work. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. Work six days. Some of us might regret he didn't say five. I'll just, I'll just say, by the way, uh, work here does not necessarily mean the means by which you're making money. right? So even though you might not be working in your office on a, a Saturday, or maybe you are, depending on your job, uh, that you should be being productive. right? Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. You may not have thought about this, but Sabbath keeping is a type of fasting. It, it, it's saying work is good, But I'm not going to get on that treadmill where all I care about is work, which you should translate into what I really care about is how other people evaluate my work. I care about my own success. I'm turning that into an idol. 
as it were. Um, God says, don't do that. Step off the treadmill. Take the break. Take a time period where you're going to focus on me. That's the Sabbath. I should say, by the way, um, you know, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord says, I will not have any other gods before me. If you make something else ultimate, your work can become a false god. Or whatever it happens to be in your life, your, your own vision of success in this world. And God says, I will not allow that to stand as an idol in my presence. God calls you to something far better. He calls you to rest in him. For some of you, um, taking a fast from social media, from watching the news on TV, which is really depressing. Um, I, I've taken a very long-term fast from that. Uh, but, but, but you can watch news. It's fine. But taking a fast from social media or from watching news on TV or from electronic entertainment altogether in order to focus intensely for a period of time on your relationship with the Lord would be a really good thing for you to do. Now, please notice I am not saying that if you give up all these things, you know, get rid of your cell phone, you'll be more spiritual. That's wrong. But if we become so dependent on them so that they start driving our lives, uh, and by the way, it's easy to do. That's a rut that's easy to fall into because people are spending billions and billions of dollars to keep you in that rut, right? They want you to be addicted to your phone or the, the TV screen or whatever it happens to be. Just taking that break from time to time to intensely focus on your relationship with the Lord will do you a world of good. And that is a type of fasting. Take a break from those things, whatever they might be, and focus on the Lord in prayer. Uh, You can come back to those things if you like, but the break will liberate you, and focusing intensely on prayer during that break will reorient you towards that which is truly important and good. So in sum, fasting is not to advertise ourselves before other people. Fasting is a tool for disciplining ourselves, for drawing near to the Lord out of a deeply felt sense of our utter dependence upon him and out of a desire to know him more fully. But I want to close by drawing your attention to something that should be obvious. It is not merely coincidental that this very brief teaching on fasting comes immediately after the Lord gave us the Lord's Prayer. Because the point of fasting is to focus upon the Lord in prayer. And in particularly abstaining from certain things that may have become too important in our lives is part of being able to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And dear Lord, Would you please begin with me? Amen.